There is no one like Jesus, amen? There's no one like him because he's the only one. The whole uh, concept of being the chosen one comes from the, the word Messiah. He, he's the one God chose to be the lamb to take away the sins of the world. Amen. So no one else could do it. There's no other way into heaven except by the name of Jesus and because of what he did at Calvary's cross. And that's, that's our challenge, to trust in God's plan and to be confident to know that if he set up that covenant, that agreement, and we agree to it, then it's a done deal. He, he kept his part of the bargain. Amen. So our part is to believe it. So now we're going to go into chapter 7 of Esther. So you're going to see it up on, uh, on the screen. Uh, the, kind of the theme, if you will, of this particular uh, study is that famous passage uh, where Mordecai uh, goes to Esther to tell her, hey, listen, there's plans to destroy the Jewish nation in Persia. And, uh, well, of course, we know that uh, having entered a beauty contest, she won. Right? But who really won? God's plan. Right? She was beautiful inside and out, and she won because that was what God wanted. And so, I don't know if you've seen the last part of the book of Revelation, but we win. Right? I don't know, as you understand, as we come close to uh, Passion Week and uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ on, on uh, Resurrection Sunday... We win. We're more than victorious because of Christ. What Christ did. He came out of the grave. He defeated our enemy. He defeated death. And he stands victorious. And as long as we're in Christ, we win. Sooner or later. Not always sooner, but definitely later. Amen? So one of the things, a couple things, just to kind of cover and get a little bit of an idea of what we've seen so far in this this beautiful story in Esther. And first and foremost, is that God's in control. Amen? Every detail and everything in our lives is managed and His hand is in it. This is what we've learned so far. Even when we don't know what's happening, even when we don't understand what's happening, God's in control. The other thing that we've learned is that we have an adversary. We, we have enemies of the cross. And in this case, enemies of the Jewish people. Haman. Horrible Haman. So there's no way for us to escape and, and, and no way for us not to acknowledge that we, we're in a battle. This is spiritual warfare. Uh, also, that God is faithful to his promises because of what he promised to Abraham. That from him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. One of his seeds, one of his descendants. And we know that that's Jesus. He would bless those that blessed them. And he would do what to those that cursed him? He would curse them. And here's a situation where we see also that God's not mocked. Whatever we sow, we will reap. That's another lesson that we've learned. And one that's really stood out to me more than anything is in this whole story, as we see the twists and the turns and we wonder what's going to happen next, is that 
and this is it for me, what I, has blessed me uh, uh, unmeasurably, is that God has resources we know nothing about. So we can't try and figure things out. We just have to trust them. God had a plan already to defeat Haman and to protect his people. God cares about his people and what happens to them. And that's what we see in this story. Isn't it wonderful to know that if you belong to him? And we do as a church, right? We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We belong to Jesus. We're his. Because we're his, we also have rights in the kingdom. Because we're his, we also have an inheritance in the kingdom. Because we're his, we can have confidence that God's going to complete the good work that he's begun in us until the day of Jesus Christ. We're going to reach the finish line. Some of us might reach it a little bit easier than others, depending on where you're at in your faith. Right? So now we're going to look at chapter 7. So if you wouldn't mind, just right there where you are, just bow your head, because I want to pray for the sermon. And I'm just going to go right through this, as I always do. Father, thank you again for this time in your word. Thank you for this book that has been a great blessing to us. And Father, we pray that we will learn and be able to Commit to our hearts and our minds all of the lessons that we've learned in, in this series that we've gone through. And, and as Esther, is the question arises in our hearts also that maybe for such a time as this, the time that we're living in, in 21st century America, for maybe for such a time as this, Lord, you've put us here. And our desire is to understand exactly what it is that you have for us. How it is that we can serve you. How it is that we can be faithful witnesses for you. How it is, Lord, that we can share the gospel with those that don't know you. And how it is that we can, as a church, bring honor and glory to your name. That's what we desire, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would bless this time. It would be your words, Lord, that are spoken. It would be your Holy Spirit, Lord, that opens our eyes and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 1, you see it up there on the screen if you don't have a Bible. And this particular section, at least verses 1 through 4, uh, I'm going to kind of uh, highlight that it's Esther's second banquet. So remember that she invited Haman to a banquet number 1. And remember that she's taking her time. She's kind of setting the table. You know, sometimes when we have plans, we've got to be careful not to try and rush them and push them through. And remember that a week or so ago we talked about her tact. There is such a thing as having tactfulness. There is such a thing as allowing uh, each step to reveal to us what the next step is. And remember, she has to be careful because you can't just approach the king in spite of the fact that she was his queen. You had to be invited. So she takes this risk by going uh, ahead and waiting for, uh, for him by entering into the inner courts. And of course, when he saw her, he was delighted. And he said, come forward when he lifted up the golden scepter, which was the approval that you can come into my presence. That's how stuff works in kingdoms. You just can't show up. You got to have an invitation. 
You have, to, you have to have a meeting set up. So there she is. She's received. And of course, the king asks, what, what do you want from me? What, what can I give you? What's your desire? And she doesn't tell him right away. She just says, well, if I found favor, uh, I'd, like to hold, I'd, like to, I'd like to have a banquet for you. Now remember, this king likes banquets. Remember that he had that six-month uh, six banquet at, in chapter 1? The one where Vesti didn't want to come into the presence of all the people that were partying with him and she was banished forever. So now Queen Esther knows that, that this guy's moody. So I'm going to take my time and I'm going to go in and I'm going to see what we can accomplish here. So it says, king, uh, the king and Haman went into a feast with Queen Esther, the second banquet. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, I want a Mercedes Benz. Oh, wait a minute. It doesn't say that. <laughs> um... How about a trip to Paris and uh, all I can shop for at the Gucci store there? Nope, she didn't ask for that either. Although she could have because he said to give her half the kingdom. Notice how she doesn't take advantage of the fact that he offers her literally half his kingdom. Now it is hyperbole. He wasn't really going to give her half the kingdom. It's a way of saying, hey, I'll give you what you want. Right? Bring your petitions. So we see her here as a mediator. Who is she really going in there representing? Not just herself, but the whole nation of the Jews that were in Persia, that were under threat of uh, genocide, of being annihilated and destroyed. So she goes in as a mediator, and I, wanna, I want you to see that. We have a mediator. We can go before our king. And who's our mediator, church? Jesus. So there's these little pictures that you can see of how these things work. Just can't walk in on whenever we feel like it. We have to walk in within the context of us having a high priest or a mediator. And depending on uh, which idea you take hold of from the New Testament, Jesus is also called our defense lawyer. We have a defense lawyer that stands before the judge, if you would, or the king. So she, she goes in, right? And uh, the king offers her even to the half of his kingdom. He says it'll be fulfilled. And Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king. So notice two things. She says, if I have found favor. What is that? What is favor that we can find? It's grace. If I have found grace. That's the basis of our relationship with Christ. And with our Heavenly Father. We're only there under one condition. His grace. We don't deserve it. 
We can't merit it. We can't buy that place. It's given to us as a, as a free gift. Amen? You're saved by grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2. And this is not of your own, lest any man should boast. It's not you. It's the grace of the king. And that's our relationship with Christ. It's based on grace. And our part in this plan of salvation is to accept it by faith. I've done it many times, right? And shown you. If I were to give you, and if I were to say to you, I'm going to pick on Barbara because she's here today. I'm going to gift you this plate. If she doesn't take it, it doesn't matter what I give her. I can give you the whole world. You're going to take it, Barbara. There you go, yeah, for the example. So she took it, right? So it's hers because I offered it. But she has to have enough confidence in the giver to take the gift. That's our part. That's the only thing we can do in, our, in the plan of salvation and in this relationship that we have with, with our king is to receive it. That's a decision. There is no Christianity without free will. Because then if I force, give me that playback, and you're going to say no. I'm going to give you this as a free gift. You're going to say no, you're going to say no. No, I'm going to give it to you as a free gift. Here you go, take it. What is that? When I force it. It's a violation. Do you get it? She goes in, wondering if she's going to be accepted. And he accepts her by, and she pleads for what? His favor. And if it pleased, pleased him. By the way, the Bible says in Hebrews, thank you for that, Barbara. Gosh, I miss doing that with you. That's why she left. <laughs> she, I'm tired of this pastor using me as a stunt. What is it that she, Esther had to, to do? Or what she pleaded for? For grace, favor, and if it pleased him. You know the Bible says that without faith it's impossible to please God. Well, how do we get faith? It's not magic. There's not a wand or space dust that I can throw at you. Even baptizing you, you don't... Faith comes from what? Hearing and hearing what? The Word of God. We're hearing the Word of God. We're seeing played out on the stage of Persia. The 5th century B.C. How God works how God is faithful. How God will protect his people. So she goes before the, the king and, hey, if I find favor in your sight, O king, if it please the king, let my life be granted. So she's pleading for herself. Let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold. Remember for Haman was willing to pay money to whoever brought in Jews to have be annihilated. It's a bribe. He bribed the king. I'll pay you into your treasury. And we looked at that part, and he had just come back from a war in Greece, defeated and humiliated, and probably having spent all the national treasure. So 
Haman uses the fact of this, this debt to say, hey, if I'll actually pay the person who brings me the Jews and turns them in. So now she mentions, if you notice, she says, if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold. That's what he's referring to back in chapter 3. I and my people to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would, I would have been silent. And she's saying, hey, if we had just been turned into slaves, I'd have never come in the court asking for anything. We wouldn't have bothered you. But this is now our life. This is life and death. This is what she does. And then, of course, she said, I would be silent. But it's not just about becoming slaves. It's about being destroyed. And remember, that's the conversation that Mordecai had with her. Maybe or perhaps, if you keep silent, the Lord will deliver some other way. But Perhaps for this reason you've come into the kingdom. To speak up. To do what's right. Amen. That's why we've been brought into the kingdom. To speak up. About the goodness of our Lord Jesus. And what he did for us. So that we might escape God's wrath and condemnation because of our sinful condition. Right? So, I would have been silent for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss of the king. So this is the third time that the king invites Esther to, to state her wish. And here we're going to see coming up in the next verses that Haman is finally going to be exposed. This entire matter is going to be open before the king. There's going to be no further delay. We've waited seven chapters to see if finally is justice going to be uh, performed here. Yeah. Justice will finally come. As I mentioned earlier, sooner or later. You, you can bet on that. One of the titles for the Lord is the just one. Jesus' name is the J, capital J, U.S., just one. The righteous one. Right? So, this whole thing is going to open up. And Esther is going to finally identify herself as a Jew. Because at this point, the king doesn't know that his queen is a Jew. Remember, they hid their identity. And we talked a little bit about that. There was all kinds of threats. There was discrimination. There was uh, what had happened to them in Babylon when they were taken exile. Now they're, uh, Persia t conquers Babylon and now they're, here's the whole nation hated by all of them just like they are in many uh, uh, parts of history that we look back on. The Jews have always been persecuted. And so of course they kept their identity uh, a secret. And here's what I had to say about that. They kept their identity a secret until they didn't. You know, a lot of people, and we talked about this before. Well, the Bible says, and Jesus says, if you deny before, before man, I'll deny you before God. Well, all of us denied him at one point in our lives until we knew him. In this case, the pressure's there. The circumstances are, are, are dire. It's urgent that something happen soon because there's a date 
had been picked for their, their annihilation. And so the queen steps up, and when it's necessary and it's the right time, she speaks. She identifies herself as a Jew, and she pleads with the king to spare her life and the life of her people. So if she doesn't speak up, the whole nation is doomed, including herself. And it's worse than slavery, to which she alluded to here briefly. Unless the king intervenes, there's no hope. But is it really the king intervening? Is it really Esther mediating? Because there's a story inside the story. And it's the story of how God is sovereign and how he's in control of every detail of our lives. There is nothing that's coincidental. There isn't anything that's accidental if we belong to the Lord. It's all planned. It's all predestined in a lot of ways. If you look at the Bible, God sees the future. And he knows what we'll do. And he's working like a chessboard. He's playing a game of chess with us, which at the end of the day, what is it? Checkmate. Right? We surrender to him. Have you surrendered completely to Christ? I know. You think you can probably do your life better than he could. You can't. You can't do life better than what he has for you. Ever. You can spend a lot of years going in a vicious circle learning that truth. And I don't have these gray hairs, what few I have, for no reason. I've learned his way is better than my way. Have you learned that? That's what this is all about. When in a crisis or when in a situation as urgent as this one is, there is no other option but to bow the knee to our Savior, to surrender our lives, to trust him. Go ahead and try it your way. It's just going to lead you down a road where you will not be satisfied and or worse. So she identifies herself and he's, she's pleading for the king to intervene. And I love how she says, my people. It's just not myself. It's, it is me and it's my people. Right? What's going to happen to them according to what she pleads for? Right? destroyed, killed, and annihilated. And this looks like what I remember in the Old Testament when Moses went before Pharaoh and he spoke for God and said, let my people go. See, God's always rescuing his people. Are you in trouble? Are you not sure which direction to go? Is there some kind of a trial some kind of illness? Are you aware of your sinful condition and the ultimate direction that sin will take us? What is the penalty of sin? Death. But what is the gift of God? Salvation in Jesus Christ. Eternal life in Jesus Christ. So we have this moment and it looks like what happened a thousand years ago earlier, Exodus 7, 16, where God says to, uh, through Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go. And we're getting ready to celebrate Passover in, on the Jewish calendar, which is the night 
and which is the day that Jesus went to the cross. Because Paul says of Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. Same thing. Let my people go. You know what that tells me when she says that? And then I look back and I see Moses repeating the words of the Lord. That the Lord watches over his people. That the Lord knows who we are. Yes, he knows where Crosspoint Community Church is. Yes, he knows where Rialto is. I never knew where Rialto was for years. I'm surprised I'm even here. <laughs> right? Rialto, where's that? Say that to someone in Dallas and they're like, huh? And then you say, you know, by San Bernardino. I was talking to a guy yesterday. And he says, San Bernardino, isn't that up there by San Francisco? And I just gave up. Yeah, oh, sure. Okay. So then the king, verse 5, said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who has dared to do this? Now he's thinking, who has dared to threaten my queen and her people? He takes it personal first. My queen, remember she's a Jew, so she's at risk too. So he asks, and Esther said, A foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. He's exposed. He's identified. Now we know who the evil one is. And now the king can intervene. Do you see how this is unfolding? This is similar to what uh, happened with uh, um, King David. Remember Nathan when he accused him and said, after the story of the lamb, you are the man. See, the Lord will always find you out. That is, Scripture says your sin will always find you out. You can't hide it forever. He couldn't. That is, Haman. And neither could David. So, Haman, who was just being honored earlier, is quickly now being humiliated and quickly this story is going to turn into a horror story for him. But he's identified. Verse 7, the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the gar uh, palace garden. So probably to take a little bit of a break uh, before he went crazy uh, on him. And Haman stayed and begged for his life from Queen Esther. Now we see Haman who wouldn't bow down to Mordecai, or because Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. Remember how this all started? That one man was a thorn in his flesh. And every time he went by the gate where he, uh, Mordecai worked, and, and that was his duty as a gatekeeper, every time he went by, everyone would bow down, but not Mordecai. And he got so angry. Now he's bowing down to a Jew, Esther. Isn't that weird how the tables are turned? And we're going to see that he built this ridiculously high 75-foot gallow to hang Mordecai from, and the tables are turned, and he will hang from it. God can always turn the tables when it comes to doing the right thing, the just thing. There is a day of accountability for those who practice evil. And if we're the children of the king, the righteous one, then we can wait for that day and know that he will take care of finding justice for his people. Just like what we see here. So the king went out to the garden 
And Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. Because remember, the king arose in wrath. And the king returned from the palace garden to stay to the place where they were drinking wine. So he goes back into the to palace as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. Now remember, talk about irony. We see here that he's so blinded by anger, the king, that he sees Haman's plea as an act of violence against Esther rather than him pleading for mercy. So he's fallen on the couch and he thinks he's trying to violate his wife. Look what it says. Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king says, will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's faith. They put that bag on his head because they're going to go hang him. He was pleading for mercy. And the irony, that is the tables are turned. You see, we can't outwit the Lord. We can't trick him. We can't manipulate him we can't deceive him he sees it all play kind of devil's advocate if there is a God I'm going to act like there's not one wouldn't you want him to be righteous wouldn't you want him to be just wouldn't you want his laws in other words, we talk a lot about no one's above the law. Especially in our days that we're living in where we see the corruption in, in high offices in our, in our government. I'm not going to get into colors right now. We see corruption and we see what appears to be people getting away with something but not before God. That's who we serve. A just and righteous God. All things will be made right. All evil will be exposed. There is a judgment day coming where all will have to give account for their actions. Everyone, except the Christian. You know that we won't have to give account for anything. You know why? Because there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Because when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we accept that the condemnation, the punishment, the wrath of God that rightfully should have fallen on us fell on Him at Calvary's cross. He paid the penalty of our sins. And we walk away free. From condemnation and judgment. Now there is the judgment seat of Christ. That's a little bit different. That's like the Olympics where you get your rewards. Some won't get anything. But they'll make it. Some will get nothing. They'll be there. So I think the scriptures allude to that they'll even smell like smoke. That's how close to hell they were. But they made it because they trusted in Christ. They didn't do anything for him afterwards. 
That's how it alludes to the judgment seat or the bema seat, the, the reward stage for Christ. But judgment day, all who are not covered by the blood of the Lamb will have to face their demise and their doom. Remember the three men on the cross when Jesus was crucified? I have to give this credit to Alistair Begg. I saw a little clip from one of his sermons. The man who Jesus said would be with him in paradise, at first he was mocking Jesus, all, both of them, the one on the right and the one on the left. The man who Jesus said could go into paradise with him, at one point said, hey, uh, this man hasn't done anything. We rightfully deserve to be here. They were murderers and seditionists. But this man's innocent. He, he, he shouldn't be here. Why was he on that cross? He wasn't guilty of anything. Jesus, the Lamb of God without blemish. Why was he there? Because he decided to be, take the place of those that were guilty. The innocent, righteous one took the place of the guilty. That's us. And so the story goes that that last moment he put his trust in Jesus when he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Like from one moment to another, he's like on his way to hell, but then the next moment he's on his way to paradise and we're all looking at him going, so he gets up to heaven and they ask him, why are you here? I don't know. Well, what mean you don't know? And these angels up there who, or I don't know, we know it's not Peter, but you know how it goes. They say Peter's going to be up there. They're asking, what are you doing here? Did you take, you know, membership one, class 101? No, we didn't take membership class 101. I was hanging on a cross next to this, this man in the middle cross. Why are you here? Do you know anything about the doctrine of justification? Or solo escritura, or only, only the scriptures, the doctrine of... No, I don't, I don't even know what that is. Were you baptized? No. Did you like say the sinner's prayer? No. I don't know what I'm doing here. Except for the man on the middle cross said I could be here. That's the key. To know the man on the middle cross. Who was the man on the middle cross? Jesus. Right? Here we have a situation where there's going to be judgment on Haman. So he throws himself on the mercy of Esther. And verse 9 says that Harbona, that's one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, moreover, the gallow that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, he's like, I got an idea. You know that gallow that Haman prepared for Mordecai whose word saved the king? Mordecai, the one who saved the king. The hero is standing at Haman's house 50 cubic high. And the king said, hang him on that. And so they hang Haman on the gallows that had been prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. So what we see here is Haman led to the slaughter to get his just due. Let me read a couple things for you and I think we'll wrap it up. 
Proverbs 21.15. If you want to write it down, look at it later, please do so. When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but a terror to evildoers. When justice is done, it'll be done. And it's joy to us, the righteous, but to the evildoer, it's terror. Verse, uh, that's verse 15 of Proverbs 21. Ver, uh, Psalms 9, verses 15 through 16, uh, say, The nations have sunk in the pit that they made. That sounds like Haman, right? He hung on the gallow that he made for someone else. Turns out he hung on it. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. Be careful of your wickedness, is what this is telling us. It's going to turn on you. Isn't that justice? God is just. Let me repeat that. This is what I think we could say today. Our God is just. Nothing will escape him. No one will escape him. The wicked will not win. That's what we're reading here. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. You don't have to do anything. Just trust him. God will take care of the injustice of this world and in your life. Deuteronomy 32.4 The rock, we know who that is, right? The Lord. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Amen? Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly before your God? That's, that's what this story has taught us. What does God want from us? To do the right thing. Do what's good. That's what he requires of us. Oh, I want to know what the Lord wants me to do, Pastor. I want to know, what, what's, what's God's will for my life? Do the right thing. We've got his word, we know what it is, right? And he says to do justice and to love kindness. How about being kind? And do the right thing. And walk humbly with your God. Humility. Amos 5.24 But let justice roll down like, the, like waters. And righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That's what we get from the Lord we serve. Amen. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know how you're going to use what we have learned in this book. But if you don't take away from what we have seen up to this point. That we serve a God that's amazing. Then I pray that you could take some time out. Go back and read through and see if you can rediscover some of these points. But I'm telling you right now, everything and all things that the Lord does through us and by us and with us is perfect. We can trust Him.
He's with us. If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you. Thank you for this book that we've gone through now for a number of months and all that you've shown us about yourself. Help us, Lord, to know you so then we can then make you known. How can we share about whom we don't know? How can we teach about what we don't know? So, Father, our prayer, Lord, is that you give us through the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit and the truth that's found in your word. Give us a message to share about who you are with those that don't know you. Give us, Lord, that hope that the world is so hungry for, a righteousness, Lord, that they don't see in, in their lives and in the world and, and in governments and, and all, in every aspect and in every area of life. Help us, Lord, to walk righteously before you. It all starts with a relationship. It all starts with obedience. It all starts because we love you. We want to do what's right. Just like Joseph, when tempted with Potiphar's wife, he, he cried out, how can I do this that would offend my God? Help us to know, Lord, that uh, our sins and when we do the things our way, that we offend you. And help us to do what's right. Help us to know that you're about what's right. We thank you. We ask you to comfort us, Lord, in, in our battles. Comfort us, Lord, in our trials and the tests to know, Lord, that you're there in every way you care about us. You are a good shepherd for your flock, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take our offering right now. So, Sammy and... Uh, oh, there we go. Osvaldito. So um, this is another opportunity for us to worship the Lord in our giving. When we give, we're saying a couple things. That first and foremost, that God provides everything we have. All good gifts come from above, the scriptures say. So we give as a way to support this ministry. Trusting the Lord will meet not only the needs of the ministry, but your own needs. And it's a form of saying that we trust him too. Ultimately, that we love him, and so we want to be obedient. Amen. So let's, let's pray for the offering. Thank you, Father. Thank you because you're faithful. Thank you, Lord, because you've given us so much. And it's not like we're trying to pay you back. We're simply using uh, your word, Lord, and what you, you ask of us to give our, our tithes and offerings, Father, as a way to express our trust of you, our obedience, so that we might be able to continue to spread the good news here at this corner. And we ask you to bless the giver, Lord, and bless the one who and the ones who will distribute it. May it be always for your honor and glory, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.